Welcome to the Remnant Christian Center's podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message. We need to realize that. And so I want to speak to you this morning about the desire to grow. This is the lesson that I've taught here in the church, never on a Sunday morning, never from the pulpit. But this is the lesson on how to study the Word of God. And I think it's really important that we get this deep in our spirit as we set the course in the new year. We have a lot of programs that are, that are going to be set up with Bible, online Bible studies. We're going to have course curriculums coming on. We're going to have all kinds of uh, prophetic classes and dream interpretation classes. There is a lot going on. I have a wonderful team with Darren Armstrong and, I don't know where he went, uh, Enrique Gomez. Oh, he's right there. <laughs> Enrique Gomez uh, and Robin Sturgeon, who's right now in New Hampshire, uh, toughing it out in the snow. And so we have a great team. We have a lot of things lined up because it's really, really important for you to get into the word of God. Amen? Amen. And so my text for you this morning is 1 Peter 2.2. You got the PowerPoint? You can start with that. 1 Peter 2.2 says, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby in respect to salvation. And so growing up in church... There was always a focus on evangelism, getting people saved, always. And as fast as they came in through the doors, as fast as they left. Jesus didn't say go out to all the world and, and get converts. He said go out to all the world and make disciples. And so we have lacked the ability as a church as a whole to ground the saints in the word of God. So this, I'm really, really passionate about this because some people think that, okay, I, they get saved and maybe they're in their 20s or 30s or 40s or 50s or 60s. And they confuse natural maturity with spiritual maturity. And you don't realize that when you become born again, you are a baby in the Lord. And the Bible here, Peter says, as newborn babes, as in other words, as new converts, desire the pure milk of the word. That you may grow thereby in respect to salvation. Salvation isn't an end of itself. It is the beginning point. God wants us to grow. And all you need is a desire. Not just for any milk. I know a lot of people are lactose intolerant. Everybody's drinking almond milk. And that's because you're not drinking the pure milk. Everybody's drinking that pasteurized garbage, which is no good for your digestive system anyway. That pure milk is raw milk, but I ain't going to go there. Anyway, that you may grow thereby in respect to salvation. So I have three simple points that I want to get across today. And number one is how God communicates. So communication. Number two, illumination. And number three, education. Okay? So number one, did we get the PowerPoint up? No? Oh, there we go. Thank you. So number one, communication. Matthew twenty two twenty nine. Now this verse here, specifically in the King James, it says, And Jesus answered and said unto them, You do err, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. This one verse, Matthew twenty two twenty nine. this one verse is the foundation of, of my ministry. It's the foundation of our assignment in this education department that I'm over, okay? This is something that we, we want, really want to bring home because I grew up in church and I grew up in, in a traditional Pentecostal churches where the emphasis was the power, the move of the spirit, speaking in tongues, casting out devils, healing the sick, but nobody knew the word, and, and everyone was ignorant of scriptures. And as soon as something happened, they would mess up and fall, and then everyone would be labeled hypocrites, and on, on, and on. And then you have another side of the church, uh, evangelical churches, where it's all about the word, 
but there's no power there. Okay? They, they, they think scripture equals power, but it doesn't, per se, by itself. And Jesus made this statement. He goes, there's two reasons why Christians fall in error. They don't know the scriptures nor the power of God. And we need both. It's not one or the other, but it's both. We need the Pentecostals need to learn the word, and the evangelicals need to experience the power of God. And if you don't, you will fall into error. So people that are just word-focused tend to be very religious, and people to be power-focused can fall into occultic practices. And we need both. In fact, the whole Pentecostal movement really just exploded in Azusa Street in Los Angeles with a one-eyed black guy named William Daddy Seymour, and that movement was quickly thwarted, and it just dissipated because they, they, they began to allow anyone in the ministry to get up and minister, and it was witches and warlocks, and they just weren't accustomed to combining the scriptures and the power of God. So I thank God for that movement, but we can learn from their mistakes. But two reasons, two reasons why we fall into error. You don't know the word or you know the power. And we need to do both. Amen? Amen. And so uh, two points I want to go over on communication is what is the prerequisite and the image of God. And prerequisite is this. It's it's very easy for you to get so word-oriented that you lose sight of relationship. And Jesus made this statement. It's going to be really controversial here, but I promise you I'm reading the the red edition, red letter edition. These are the words to Jesus. He said in John chapter 16, verse 7, and 12 through 15, he goes, But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Really, really powerful. He says it's to your advantage that I go away, not so he can give us a book. He didn't say it was to our advantage that he goes away so he can give us a Bible. Now, I'm a word guy. I'm over the education department, so I want you to hear me here. It was the Holy Spirit that inspired the writers. And what he was saying is it is important for you to become sensitive and intimate with the person of the Holy Spirit. Because if all you do is study the word and you're not in relationship with the Holy Spirit, that you're missing the walk and the inspiration which inspired the writers to write this book. He said, it's to your advantage that I go away so that I can send you the Holy Spirit. Oh, got real quiet in here. That's all right. So that's, that's the prerequisite. When it comes to communication, it's not just about assimilating facts, memorizing scripture. All that's important. Studying, all that's important. We're going to get to that. But the prerequisite is having a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And number two, understanding how he communicates because man is created. And when I say man, you know, I'm talking biblical man. So man is male and female, okay? Man was created in the image of God. And God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And 1 Thessalonians 5.23 tells us that we are spirit, soul, and body. So you need to understand this because these are, we are made in his image, and we are three parts, just like God is three parts. So let's talk about that, the body. The body is comprised also of three things, flesh, bone, and blood. You might say, okay, I already know this. This is oversimplistic. Just, just ride with me for a little bit. Flesh, bone, and blood. 
And how we determine or measure physical maturity is two ways, is age and stature. The older you get, the more mature your body becomes, okay? And stature. I can go into a room and say, okay, this is the nursery. Oh, okay, this is the youth. Okay, these are the adults for the most part. I mean, we got dwarfs and we got giants. But for the most part, you can tell by stature the physical maturity of an individual. Does that make sense? Okay. Okay, so now let's apply that to the soul. Okay, the soul, because we're spirit, soul, and body. The soul, the Greek word is suke, where we get our word psychology and psychiatrist from. And it is your, comprised of three parts, your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your mind, your will, and your emotions. That, that slide right there is from a, the, our dream interpretation class. Your mind, will, and emotions actually have colors that correspond to it. And when your soul rules over your spirit, it produces a dark light. Come to class and we'll explain that a little further. How we measure the maturity of the soul is also two ways, right? For the body, it's age and stature. For the soul, it's education and experience. Important, because God wants our soul to be sanctified. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't have prayed that. We want our soul to be mature. But when I sit with someone and they want to give me their resume... As to what they've done for the kingdom of God, they typically give me their education and their experience. So they confuse soulish maturity with spiritual maturity. Ooh, it's real quiet in here. All right, they're processing. All right, all right, they're processing. So education is important, right? My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, right? I'm over the education department. We're really passionate about it. Enrique's passionate, Darren's passionate, Robin's passionate. And we just can't wait to start these classes for you because education is important. You need to know the word of God. And experience. Experience is really helpful. Okay? But those two things are soulish measurements of maturity, which is a good thing, not a bad thing, not spiritual. So our spirit is also comprised of three things. It is your wisdom, conscience, and communion. Those are the three parts of your spirit. Okay? Wisdom, conscience, and communion. Those are the colors that correspond to it. Notice that when the spirit is controlling the soul, it produces a white light. And Jesus spoke about the light entering into the eyes in Matthew. We get into more of that in dream interpretation because God speaks in colors, right? Every time you see a manifestation of God in the Bible, there's always colors corresponding to it. In fact, when he makes the covenant with Noah, he puts what in the sky? A rainbow, Roy G. Bibb, seven colors, and each of those colors speak and communicate. And so God communicates in colors. All right, I mean, I got off track here. But how we measure the spirit is distinct in how we measure the maturity of the soul and the body. It is three ways. It is, number one, it's fruit, it's discernment, and it's humility. Jesus said in Matthew 7, you will know them by their fruit. Now, we're not talking apples and oranges and papayas and mangoes. (laughs) By their fruit, Paul talks about in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, kindness, temperance, gentleness, and self-control. Against such, there is no law. That is a major measurement of spiritual maturity. Now, how many scriptures you can quote? Now, how many times you've preached or prophesied, but where, what is your fruit? 
and I've been around a lot of ministries throughout the 34 years I've been in ministry. Darren, we have known Darren for 25 years. Him, I, PG, PK, PL, all the P's. We we were all part of a very uh, big ministry here in Orlando. And so we got to see a lot of big names come in. And not all those big names were very nice. All right? They didn't all have... Uh, a lot of these fruit here, they were missing, and at least from the experiences that we had, just brushing up with them. But fruit is the number one measurement of spiritual maturity. Number two is discernment. Discernment. It says in Hebrews 5.14, but strong meat belongs to the mature. Because of practice, have their senses trained to discern between good and evil. We started off with the text for today is desire the sincere milk of the word because we go through stages in our spiritual growth. Babies require milk, okay? Boys or girls require manna, and the mature require meat. But even the mature still enjoy bread. Even the mature still enjoy the milk. We don't stop with the milk and with the manna just because we're eating meat. But the point is here is that the strong meat, the heavy meat, you know that two-inch thick filet mignon, medium rare, glory to God, for those of you who know how to cook a steak the correct way, okay, belongs to the mature, and because of practice have their, not sense, their senses. God has given us five natural senses, and he's given us five spiritual senses. And we talk about that in a lot of our prophetic classes. Everybody's talk about, I hear the Lord saying, or the Lord show me this, and those are two major ways that God communicates, but he also communicates through touch, right? Paul talks about how he gropes and feels after God, okay? Taste and see that the Lord is good. The Bible talks about how he's the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley, bowls of incense. And so there's a scent, an aroma in the spirit realm. So there are five senses. And how we activate this is with training, it says have their senses trained, and that's why not only are we going to be doing Bible studies because we want to edify you, but we're also going to be doing equipping classes because we need to train you to begin moving in your senses. We want a multi-sensory congregation so that when you go out into the world, into the marketplace, or even to some of you that have hell holes for families, right? I have, maybe it's just me, right? All right. Maybe all your family members are saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost, but not mine. And so I can use all my senses when it comes to some of my family members. Amen? So fruit, discernment, and humility. Here's a huge one, humility. For you, 1 Peter 5, 5, and 6 says, For you younger, likewise be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourself with humility. For God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I love what Rick Joyner said one time. He said, I'd rather have every demon in hell resist me than to have God resist me. But that's what happens when I allow pride to take root in my heart. And so it's not the scriptures that you memorize, although it's important to memorize it, okay? It's not how much experience you have ministering, but how humble are you? Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he can exalt you in due time. So fruit, discernment, And humility are the three marks of measurement of how we measure spiritual maturity. I'm laying a foundation for something. It's very important. Because when I get to education, I want you to understand that that is not the mark of spiritual maturity. But we got to grow. We got to grow as a body. Amen? 
We got to grow. So point one was communication. And my second point is illumination. You may know this and you may not know this. Okay. And so if you know this, then it's okay for you to hear it again. Right. Faith comes by hearing. Faith doesn't come by having heard. So we need to hear it over and over again. How many of you water your grass once a year? No, no, you, you water it on a regular basis to keep it alive. So sometimes I'm going to be saying things that you may already know, and that's okay. It's good that I water your grass. Illumination. So the Bible is comprised of 66 different books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, at least in the Western church. In the Eastern church, they got 40 in the Old Testament. Roman Catholics, they have the Apocrypha. And so, but for us here in the Western church, 66 books. So we're going to talk about that. Three points I want to make real clear. The Bible is inspired, it's eternal, and it's powerful. And if you don't know, you need to know. Okay? It's inspired. This isn't just some ancient manuscript from thousands of years ago that we're just reading because we want to be religious. This is inspired. And it says in 2 Peter 1.20, but know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Okay? For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men were moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. This is inspired. 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is inspired by God. That's important for you to understand because there's some theologians that believe that some parts are inspired and some are not. Well, that contradicts this verse, doesn't it? All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching we all love teaching, right? At least I do. Um, reproof. How many of you love to get rebuked? I love it because I want to grow. You haven't read Proverbs then. All right, so we'll, we'll get to that. I may have to have Enrique teach on Proverbs this year. And when you're done reading Proverbs, you'll enjoy being rebuked. Okay? Because whom God loves, he chastens. And so that's how we grow. Um, and maybe some of you probably uh, think of rebuke and you're seeing it through a uh, uh, glasses of perhaps abuse. And I understand that too, both in the natural and the spiritual. And I've seen, seen both. And I understand that. But that's not our Father God. Also for correction and for training in righteousness so that the people of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. All scripture is inspired by God. So this book is inspired. This is not just an ancient manuscript. It's not just good reading. It's not just... It's not just something that'll make you feel good. It's inspired by God. It's also eternal. Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. Forever is forever. Forever. We go to heaven, the word of God's still going to abide. Forever. Matthew 24, 35, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So this book is inspired, and this book is eternal. And thirdly, this book is powerful. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. It's in my way. It's crowded up here. So, you ever, you ever desire just to talk to somebody about the word and then you share it with them and they say, Oh, well, you, know, you can quote scripture, but I don't believe it. I don't believe the Bible. And all of a sudden, oh, man, you know, it kind of like, you know, man, did I mess up? They don't believe the word. It doesn't matter whether they believe it or not. The word of God is living and it's powerful. 
they may reject it on the outside, but I promise you that word has gone into their spirit on the inside. And eventually someone's going to water that word. I remember ministering to my son-in-law for years. And I wasn't pushy. I wasn't, you know, trying to shove anything down his throat. But I would always, you know, any opportunity I had. And he would just look at me and just smile, give me the courteous. I'm listening to you, but when are you going to change the subject? And, and, he, and he's a police officer. And one day he had, um, he had an off-duty assignment in Yankee Stadium. And somebody comes up to him and just begins to aggressively preach the gospel. And says, do you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And he's like... Yeah, because the word had been sown in him. He may have rejected it for years. I don't take it personal, but the word of God is living, is powerful. And today he's serving the Lord. Him and my daughter uh, go to a very good church, um, and, and they're, they're even tithing. I, even, I never even spoke to them about tithing. Like, you guys are tithing? I'm like, yeah, 10%, absolutely. I'm like, praise the Lord. The word of God is living, and it's powerful. It doesn't matter what people b- believe or they don't believe. They may not believe in gravity, but if I push you off the roof, you will be introduced to gravity whether you believe it or not. It doesn't change the facts. Amen? So, communication, illumination, and my third point, which would be a little extensive here, is education. Education. Something I'm very, very passionate about, obviously. And so... I want to talk to you about three forms of uh, eating, one of the things I love to do, <laughs> right? And so there's tasting, there's chewing, and there's digesting. It's three parts of the process of eating in the natural as well as in the spirit realm, okay? And for those of you that only read the Bible, that's okay, but I want you to know that you're tasting God. He says in Psalm 34, a taste and see that the Lord is good. You reading the Bible is you tasting of the Lord. And that's important, okay? And that's one thing, I know the Caratinis are watching. One thing I really appreciate, because I have some friends and family members in Spanish, is called mañoso. They're real picky. And, you know, people grow up eating a certain way. You know, if all you grew up eating was hamburgers and hot dogs, uh, then you're going to be probably repulsed by different things of other cultures. Does that make sense? I mean, being, um, I'm half Dominican, so it was nothing for my family to have a goat stew. And we loved it. We grew up on that. Or beef tongue. Or octopus salad. And to me, that was just as normal as having chicken or steak. We had a wide variety. But some people are like, oh, I, that's nasty. Really? You, you've had it and you didn't like the taste? Oh, no, I didn't taste it. It just sounds nasty. You haven't even tasted it. Your opinion is not even valid. What are you talking about? So I, one thing I appreciate about Frank Caratini is that uh, he at least will taste something. And so uh, I'm not going to speak about his other half. But, yeah, if it ain't Puerto Rican or Italian, some people just won't eat it. But anyway, some people are picky. I'm thank God that didn't, that didn't pass on to the other, next generation, though. Christian and his lovely wife, they eat everything. Whatever I put on a plate, if it's not moving, they'll eat it. And that's, that's the way it should be. But taste and see that the Lord is good. You reading the Bible is you tasting of the Lord. And that's important. That's important. But we need to go beyond tasting. We need to chew. And the Bible talks about in 2 Timothy 2.15, chewing is studying the word. And that's really what I want to hit on today 
is that. Because some of you have had dreams where you're missing teeth or your teeth are falling out. And God is communicating to you that you're losing your ability or you've lost your practice to break down the word of God. I wish God would talk to me, talking to your dreams all the time. Just because you don't understand it doesn't mean he's not talking. He's only going to talk to you in English for so long. Right? Eventually, he wants you to learn the language of the spirit. Okay? So that you can understand how he speaks. That's why he'll give us visions. The young will see visions. That's when he communicates to us in our language. But the old men will dream dreams. It doesn't mean old in natural. It's old in spiritual. Because those who are more mature will understand the language of the spirit and understand how God talks. So your young will see visions and understand it. The older, more mature, will be able to understand how God speaks in dreams, which is parabolic in nature. It's signs and symbols and metaphors. Okay, so your ability to choose, study to show yourself approved. The workmen need not be ashamed, rightfully dividing the word of truth, which tells us that you can wrongly divide the word of truth, right? And we've seen that. I've seen that growing up all the time. And so I'm going to really focus on that for the rest of this message. But it's not just tasting and chewing, but it's digesting, swallowing. It's getting it into your spirit. And that's where we get into meditation, which I'm not going to focus on this morning. Ezekiel 3.3, and he said to me, son of man, feed your stomach and fill your body with this scroll, which I'm going to give you. And when I ate it, it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. John had a similar experience in Revelation 10.10. He says, and I took this little scroll from the angel's hand and I ate it. And in my mouth, just like Ezekiel, it was as sweet as honey. And when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. Everybody loves the word until it gets in you and it's got to change you. And everyone loves the word until it has to get in you and change you. You know, we'll say amen or I love that. Oh, man, the message is so good. And then we go home and we still live like devils. And then we wonder why there's no change. And so we need to taste and see that he is good. We need to chew on his word, and we need to digest it. And I'm not going to focus on digestion this morning. I want to focus on chewing, okay? So I'm going to go over a couple of extreme methods of chewing or studying. Now, if you've done any of these, don't get offended, okay? Because I've done each, each one of these myself. So I ain't talking about you. I'm talking about me, all right? So hear me out. And some of these methods are actually really good when it comes to tasting. They're just not good when it comes to chewing. In other words, some of these are really good when it comes to reading, but they're not good when it comes to studying. All right? So some extreme methods is when I was in Bible college, they used to have this saying, a chapter a day keeps the devil away. Okay? I received an email from PG, and it pertained to this morning. Now, it was about six, seven paragraphs long. For those of you that have received correspondence from PG, you know he's not short on words. I always wondered, man, how can someone text so much? And he does that voice text. And so he's like preaching like a two-hour sermon, and it comes out of my text. And I'm like. But imagine if I said, man, that's really good. Uh, I'm excited to get this this email from PG. I'm going to read a paragraph today, and I'm going to read a paragraph tomorrow, and I'm going to read another paragraph on Monday. Another paragraph on Tuesday. Well, I'm going to miss everything he wants to tell me about this morning. 
It was meant to be read in one sitting. Does that make sense? So this uh, chapter a day keeps the devil away. That may be good for reading, but when it comes to studying, you're going to wind up taking things out of context when it comes to studying. Okay? Because the Bible is the inspired word of God. We already went over that, right? From Genesis to Revelation. But I have news for you. Although the Bible is inspired, chapters and verses are not. They were installed by the Archbishop of Canterbury. So I appreciate that they, that they did that because it's easy for me to locate passages. But sometimes they break chapters in the middle of a frame of thought. There is therefore now no condemnation. Well, you've got to find out why it's therefore. Because he started the conversation at the end of chapter 6 of Romans. But, we, but today's the eighth day of the month, so we're going to read Romans 8. <laughs> and that's okay for reading. It's just not okay for studying. All right? So that, oh, that chapter a day. Another one, don't get upset with me. I've done each and every one of these myself, is the open and point method. Speak to me, Lord. I need a word from you, God. Just speak. This is your word. This is inspired. It's eternal. It's powerful, God. Give me a word. Just speak to me, God. And Judas went and hung himself. Oh, my, my finger must have slipped. Speak to me, Lord. Speak to me, Lord. And go and do thou likewise. The open and point method does not work for, for studying. The Bible is inspired in its context. Inspired in its... Right, more than six people. Inspired in its... Context is a very important word. Okay? In its context. Every word of God is inspired in its context. The next one is the Olympic approach. Now, I love this for acclamation. I love this for tasting. The Olympic approach is, and, and sometimes, don't get offended, some people buy these programs where they read the Bible in 365 days, right? And they just want to get through it. That's good for tasting. I recommend that you do that. But that's not good for studying. That's right. You're coming around the corner of July. I just finished the book of Psalms. By December, I'll be in Revelation and I'll be done. Okay? That Olympic method is good for reading, but it's not good for studying. Okay? John Paul Jackson, someone who passed away who I was mentored by, made this statement. He said, so much of the Bible's spiritual velocity and weightiness is lost today because we don't pause to meditate on and consider its application. I'm going to read that again. So much of the Bible's spiritual velocity and weightiness is lost today because we don't pause to meditate on and consider its application. It's no wonder so many times in the Psalms, the psalmist will say, Selah, stop and think about it. Amen? And then the final method, which I don't recommend, is what I call the JW syndrome. So I'm from New York City, and... Uh, uh, Tiffany's not here, so, but my wife is here, and she's from Brooklyn, and so I was born in Manhattan, raised in the Bronx, but in Brooklyn is a big watchtower, and there's a cult called the Jehovah Witnesses, and they distribute these uh, magazines out, I know you love it when they come to your house, um, Watchtower magazine, and so basically the group of elders get together, and they figure, okay, all of our people are so dumb, and they have no relationship with the Holy Spirit, because we don't teach about the Holy Spirit, and so we're going to tell them what the Bible means, Okay, 
And so uh, they can't even study the Bible without this Watchtower magazine to accompany with it. And we all get righteous, and that's right. We're Christian, and they're a bunch of cults, you know. But a lot of Christians do the same thing because they can't study the Bible without getting a commentary. And most, most, most commentaries are written by theologians that are totally void of the Spirit. Not, not all, but a, a good majority of it. If you name some names right now, I could say, oh, don't bother with that. And so all a commentary is is someone else doing the work for you. But God wants you to hear him for yourself. Now, there's a place for commentaries. Once I've exhausted all my means, and we're going to go over some of those means, then once I've done my own and I've heard God for myself, then I want to look at what some respected spiritual theologians have to say about this topic after I've done it. I don't want secondhand food. You chewed on that? Nah. I want my own steak. Okay? So leave those. Now, some of them, if you have some, some commentaries, you know, we had a Remember when the pandemic hit and there was a vo- we were running out of toilet paper in the stores? It can be useful at that point when you run out of toilet paper. But other than that, leave most of those commentaries. Don't bother wasting your money. Really. I want to, and you don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to go to Bible college. You don't have to have a degree to hear God and to study his word. Okay? You don't. The real purpose of teachers in the body is to edify and equip you so you can do the work of the ministry. And we've got some incredible teachers here that are going to be doing that in this next couple of years, helping PG and the rest of the leadership. So we're going to go over it. What I want you to do is I want you to simply recognize some barriers, okay? Some barriers that can keep us from hearing God clear. And so some of them are linguistics, or that's languages, Bible translations, customs, history, geography, genre, and characters. I'm not saying that's all, but those are the majority of the ones that I have found. I find if we could at least recognize those barriers and learn how to overcome them simply, it'll help us chew better. Okay? Those of you that want to take a brisket and throw it on a grill for 30 seconds, try chewing on that. That's a tough piece of meat. That's going to take hours and hours to make it tender. Likewise, if you take filet mignon and you leave it on there for an hour, you might as well eat your shoes. Or for those of you that eat your steak well done, it would be the same thing. But Sorry, I had to go there. And so um, I want you to just be aware of these barriers. So let's, let's talk about linguistics. Out of all the languages that God could have chosen to communicate his word, out of all the languages, he chose the Hebrew language. That was his choice. He chose the Hebrew language. There's an old saying that a, that, um, a picture says a thousand words. And the Hebraic language is a picture language. And God, like the master artist that he is, wanted to tell the story of creation with colors and pictures and signs and symbols using the language of the spirit. And so you just need to be aware of that, okay? I would seriously doubt that anyone here, maybe some of you have, has ever actually read the Bible. What you've read is an English translation of the Bible. And there are some things that are just lost in translation. 
It doesn't mean if you don't read Hebrew that you're just lost and you're not going to understand God's word. No, no, no. The translators did a very good job. They, weren't, they didn't do a perfect job. They did a very good job. Okay? So we're going to talk about linguistics. So um, English, you know what I always hear? I, when people say, you know, I don't know how people can speak other languages. It's just so hard. You know? And, and, and they'll say stuff like that. And, and people that speak other languages will say, actually, English is hard. And anyone that has studied linguistics would agree that English is a very hard language. Compared to languages, just because you don't know it, because you don't know it, you think it's hard. But English has a lot more rules. I mean, I sp- we spell phone with a P. Five, six of you are awake, that's good. So my mother, uh, when she came from Puerto Rico, and she moved, and uh, my grandparents moved to Brooklyn, uh, they enrolled her in elementary school, and the teachers called her stupid and dummy because she didn't speak English. And so she made it her lifelong uh, journey to study English and to speak it well. And she's really good when it comes to syntax structures, grammar, vocabulary. So she was very tough on me and my brother. And so, but, I, but she sent me this, and, I, and I've always kept it. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. But English, is, it says, English is a crazy language. In what other language do people recite at a play and play at a recital? We ship by truck, but we send cargo by ship. We have noses that run and feet that smell. We park in a driveway and we drive in a parkway. And how can a slim chance and a fat chance be the same thing? While a wise man and wise guys are opposite. You have to marvel at the unique lunacy of a language in which your house can burn up as it burns down. In which you fill out a form by filling it in. In which an alarm goes off by going on. So English is a hard language. So um, Michael Fritz is here. I remember when he was born. But his, his parents, actually, they proposed to each other in our house. And they were teenagers when I met, when I met his parents, when I met the parents. And so uh, his dad was my baby brother's best friend. Eric Fritz, and he was always in my house, so we called him our white boy brother, and my father and my brothers are comedians. They just love all day long telling jokes. I was the dry, dull, and boring one, and so I would just sit there, and my father and my brothers would be telling jokes, and, and Eric, Michael's dad, was like one of the hyenas, you know, in The Lion King, like, what'd he say, what'd he say? Because everyone's laughing, but he didn't understand Spanish. And so I would interpret the, the joke from Spanish to English, and he would just look at me. That's not funny. <laughs> well, it, it didn't sound funny in English at all. Because there's something that's lost in translation, because language carries with it culture. Culture. And, and even, even amongst Hispanics, not everything is the same, just because every, Hispanics speak Spanish. I remember um, I like to post pictures of food. In case you don't know. And I remember I made, you know, I was, the, I was when I worked at the fire department, I, I cooked this big old calzones for the boys. And I took a picture of it and I posted it. And then my pastor friends in Mexico responded on Facebook like, yuck. So I, I'm like, what's the matter? You don't like calzones? Calzones, that's underwear over here in Mexico. 
That's not what we call it in Puerto Rico or Dominican Republic. What kind of Spanish is that? Even crabs, Puerto Ricans and Dominicans say different. Cangrejo or jaiba. So it's not the same all across the board. So amongst cultures, there's differentiation. That's the reason why the, the, the Jews had a hard time with Jesus. Because he spoke this silly Galilean accent every time he spoke Hebrew. He didn't even speak the language right. He was like one of the hicks. So language carries with it. And I remember um, uh, culture is really big when it comes to language. I remember when I was a kid, we would always do the same, same vacation every year. We would fly from, from New York to Dominican Republic to Puerto Rico and back. If we wanted something different, we'd go to New York to Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic and back. But it was always the same trifecta trip. And I remember one time my, my aunt comes out and she says, to me in, she says to me in Spanish, hey, listen, do you want some cornflakes for breakfast? I, I didn't make that face. But inside, I'm like, cornflakes? What a boring cereal. How about honeycombs or frosted flakes? Something with, you know, 20 pounds of sugar in it that I could enjoy. <laughs> and I'm like, I was so hungry. Like, all right, that's fine. I'll take some cornflakes. And then she comes out and she gives me Cheerios. And I make this weird face. And she goes, what's the matter? And I'm like, nada, but tú me dijiste que me iba a dar cornflake? You told me you're going to give me cornflakes. Well, that is cornflakes. No, this is Cheerios. No, that's cornflakes. No, this is, I'll show you the box. Show me the box you poured this in. And it dawned on me that cornflakes was the first cereal that was introduced in the Dominican Republic. So it became synonymous with the term cereal. Okay? So all the culture carries over into the language. And you need to at least be aware of that. You guys with me so far? So that's the Hebraic language. Now, the Greek language is also very, very different from Hebrew and English. In the, English in, the he, in the Greek language, there's a different word for every shade of meaning. There's a beautiful passage in Galatians 4.4. 4. It says that Christ came at the fullness of time. Okay? That there was a specific time, chronological, chronos is the word in the Greek, chronological time in history where God's kairos would interject with the chronos. It was a very, it was like, mm, uh, I think it's time I send my son down. No, it was, God was very calculated, very specific. He came at the fullness of time. And it was a time when all roads led to Rome, but the universal language was Greek. And for the introduction of his son, you know, you go to a museum and you see artwork. And, you know, Rady could look at it and say, oh, I see this and I see that. Okay. But then Pastor Lewis could say, well, I see this and I see that, and they can both be right. It's their creative interpretation as to what they see. But when it came time for the introduction of his son, there'll be no variation. I need you to understand exactly who my son is. And the Greek language is a very, very specific language. If I said I love God, and I love Yvette, and I love Lewis, and I love Shalini, I just use one word in English for four very different applications. Okay? The word in the Greek for love of my wife would be eros. The love of God would be agape. The love of friends would be phileo. The love of the family would be storgus. So they have a different word for every shade of meaning in the Greek. You don't have to know Greek. You just have to be aware of it. You guys doing all right? Okay? So you need to understand this. It's very, very important. Okay? 
And so there is, how's my time doing? Oh, I'm doing all right. So some of the tools that you can use, and I'm going to recommend a couple of tools, is a concordance, a Strong's concordance, or a Young's concordance. Um, they're really, really big books. You could probably get them 15, 20 bucks. Or actually, Enrique showed me that Strong's actually has an app now. I like to use blueletterbible.org. That's an app that I use. And um, if you click on it in the King James Version or New American Standard, then it'll give you the Strong's concordance. In other words, it'll give you a key to every, not every, but most of the Greek and Hebrew words in the Bible. So you can interpret and see what it actually means. Okay? There's a story in John 21 where Jesus is, ha- is eating. I love it. I love to be just like, what would Jesus do? Right? He's always eating. And so, and, and he says to, he says, um, Simon, do you love me? He goes, yeah, you know I love you. He asks him a second time, do you love me? Yeah, you know I love you. He asks him a third time, do you love me? And the Bible says he felt, you know, kind of upset that he asked him a third time. He goes, well, if you love me, then you should feed my sheep. And I always wondered why he asked him three times. But if you look it up in the Greek, this is how the conversation goes. Jesus looks at him and says, um, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me unconditionally the way God the Father loves me, the way God the Father loves you? And Peter responds, well, Lord, you know I phileo you. You know I love you like a friend. He asks him a second time, Peter, do you love me unconditionally? Do you agape me? And he says to him the second time, you know I love you like a friend. I phileo you, Lord. The third time Jesus says, Peter, do you phileo me? At this point, he felt convicted. God is basically saying, listen, if you're not going to come up to my level, I'm going to come down to your level. And he convicted him. Now, you're not going to get that if you just read it in English, especially if you're in that marathon run, trying to get through the Bible in a year, right, which is okay for reading. It's just not good for studying. Just a simple t- pause and doing some simple research can really bring out the depth. You're not going to catch that in English. So a strong concordance or young concordance would help in that. Um, and then there's certain words you'll need something a little deeper, like a Vines Expository Dictionary. For example, the word apostle. Uh, Darren mentioned it when he was prophesying up here. The word apostle, if you look it up in the Greek, apostolos, literally means a sent one. Okay? But if I send Shani to clean the bathrooms, that is the maker of the apostle to the commodes. <laughs> and so what the, what the Vines does, it not just gives you the meaning of it, but gives you the historic usage. And that, in the spirit realm, that ministry exists. But, in, but when Jesus went up to the mountain and came down and he named 12 of his disciples apostles, that was a common phrase back then. That was a common office. It was what we would do, the combination of a Navy admiral and an ambassador. And so what, what the an ambassador does is they spend time with the king, and they just watch the king. They just sit there and watch him make rules, decrees, pass judgments, and they get his heart on the matter. And they, they see how he thinks. And when it comes time <clears throat> to expand the kingdom, and as a Navy admiral, as an apostle, he would take five vessels and would go across and expand the kingdom in the name of the king. And now he can establish government because he can think and feel just like the king does. You're not going to get that from the Strongs. So a Vines Expository Dictionary would give you usage and historical usage. You guys doing all right? All right. So next barrier, enough of language, is translations. What translation should I use? It's like, what diet should you use? The best diet you can do is the one that you do. The best workout you can do is the one that you do. 
Do something. Don't just sit around with translation and then you never choose one. Now, let's go over some translations. There's three categories of translations. There is literal, free, and dynamic equivalent. So literal means that the interpreters tried word for word to, to interpret the Bible. And so you have King James, Revised Standard, New American Standard. Uh, we love, PG loves to use New King James, which I love. And so New King James as well. And so um, uh, the reason why uh, we don't really use King James is because we don't speak Old English, right? If I say come over here quickly, you mean you would think I want you to come over here fast, right? But quick in Old English means living. doesn't even mean quick. It had nothing to do with speed. Or when Jesus says, suffer the little children to come unto me, he wasn't advocating child abuse. <clears throat> Old English, suffer means to allow. So I don't recommend King James. Now, you hear me quote King James a lot because in Bible college, they made us memorize Scripture like crazy, and it was all in King James, okay? Which, by the way, has nothing to do with King James anyway, but that's another story. Now, a paraphrase. Some people don't like free, free uh, translations, and those are paraphrases, okay? Uh, the Good News Bible, the Message Bible, the New Living Translation, the Passion Translation. Um, those are really, really good, but they're... Free translations, they're paraphrase, okay? As long as you understand that, it's okay. They're great translations. They're just not literal translations. They're paraphrase, okay? If you ask my wife how her day was, sit down, grab a cup of water, and get ready for the story because she is very, very detail-oriented. You ask me how was my day, it was good. <laughs> so I paraphrase a lot. Okay? And then there's dynamic equivalent. So you'll have like the NIV, somewhat the New King James Version, where they, it, it attempts to maintain historical distance and updates the language and the grammar. And some people don't like NIV. They say it cuts out certain scriptures. Um, if I had someone get up here and, and recite a story in Spanish and have someone else interpret it, I promise you they won't be using the same amount of words. So don't get so bent out of shape. Use, I use all, when I'm studying, I use all the translations I possibly can. Why? Because either way, I'm not reading it in Hebrew or Greek. Okay? So whichever one you want to use, use. Just be aware of the differences. Okay? Next barrier is customs. Okay? Manners and customs are very different in the East than it is in the West. So one tool that can help you understand customs, because I'm not going to get into this, this is a whole lesson itself, is a Bible dictionary. And a Bible dictionary is more like a one-book encyclopedia, and it'll give you all the insights into customs. Next is history. History, current events. Did you know that half of Paul's letters were written while he was in prison? It's one thing for me to get an email from PG when I know he's home versus him writing to me from 33rd Street. Right? And so just be aware of that. Ezekiel, Daniel, Jeremiah, they were all written while they were under captivity. So that's a historical context. A one, one very good tool that will help you is a handbook to the Bible. Because I promise you there are many passages in Isaiah that are going to be very, well, to me, were very, very boring until I began using a handbook. Oh, my God, he's going on forever. I don't even know what he's talking about. What is he prophesying into? But when I got a handbook and I realized, oh, he, he's speaking about this. He's speaking into that. Then it brought the book alive. 
So a handbook to the Bible gives you the current events that were going on when the writers were writing that book, right? And that happens today. Every four years, this country looks very different. It looks very different now under the Biden administration than it did with the Trump administration, which is very different than the Obama administration, very different from, from the Bush administration, right? Whoever is the leader changes a lot of the direction and the flow of the country. So the same as it is now, it was back then. So just be aware of it. You may not have to study all there is, go and take a church history class, which I would. I love church history. But just getting a handbook will at least tell you, hey, this is what was going on during that specific event that was happening while the writer wrote this. You guys doing all right? Next is geography. I'm huge on geography. I love maps. I love globes. Love it, love it, love it. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. I love it. So mo- some of your Bibles, for those of you that still carry Bibles, may have maps in the back. And that's okay. That's good. If that's what you want to use, that's fine. Better that than nothing. I do recommend getting a Bible atlas. Okay? And so it, it's very, very, yeah, let's just make it real. How many of you have ever heard these following terms? The River Jordan, Jerusalem, Bethlehem, Sea of Galilee, Dead Sea. Those are geographic locations mentioned in the Bible, and because they're in the Bible, there is something inspired about those locations. So when, when David says, I look into the hills from whence cometh my help, well, the hills in the Bronx that I grew up in look very different from the ones he was staring at. The Bible Atlas would giving me the terrain overture would let me see that, all right? So I'm going to give you an example here of a combination of study that I did. Just really brief. Yeah, we're doing okay with time. If I say, hey, listen, after service, Enrique, could you meet me because I want to talk to you? Okay? That's kind of an open-ended, it's like, okay, Harvest wants to meet with me. So uh, is he going to meet with me and we're going to go into an office or are we going to meet and go out to like a restaurant? Either way we did that, we, I, we used the same word meet. Meet to stay or meet to go. That makes sense? But in the Greek, there's two so, totally different words. All right? So let's look at the mention of the word meet to go. Oh, the, meet, the word meet to welcome. We're going to look at it. In the very first mention in Matthew 25, 1, in, in the parable of the virgins, then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, in our Western culture, the wedding is all about the ceremony, right? We got to get the venue, got to get the DJ, the photographer, the videographer, got to get the right dress. We got to get the caterer. It's all about the ceremony, right? Very different than, right, Matt? I know you're going through it now. He's, he's got two hands and both feet up. And so if you, if you using our Western mindset, you looked at this passage where the, the, the virgins came out to meet the groom, Okay, so they can go have the ceremony. But that's not how it was in Eastern culture. In the Eastern culture, it wasn't about the ceremony. It was about the act of intimacy. So the word meet in the Greek isn't meet so that we can go out and have the ceremony. They came out to meet the groom so they could welcome him back into the tent and consummate the marriage. The two totally different words in the Greek. And that's the word that's used. They came out to meet the groom to bring him back into the tent. You follow me so far? You're going to amen me now. You may not amen me at the end because I'm setting you up. The second mention of that, you could put the map slide, 
is in Acts chapter 28, verse 14 and 15. It says, there, was, there we found some brethren and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And thus we came to Rome. And the brethren, when they heard about us, came from there as far as Market of Appius and the three inns, or three taverns, some of your translations will say, to meet us. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. Can I get the slide with the map? So I want you to look at something. This is Paul's last journey. He's on his way to Rome. He lands on what we call now Italy. Okay, the whole nation was called Rome at that point. But he lands in Italy, and the Bible says he stayed, as soon as he landed after this long journey in the Mediterranean Sea, he stays with the saints for seven days. When he stays with them for seven days, and the saints that were in the city of Rome heard that he had arrived, it says that they came down to meet him as far as the three taverns and the market of Appius. The three taverns is 35 miles south of Rome. The market of Appius is 10 miles south of the three taverns. That means some of the Christians from Rome traveled for 45 miles one way. And the Bible says to meet him. And were they going to meet him so they could jump back on the boat and head back to Tarsus? That's not the word in the Greek. It's the same word from Matthew 25. They were going to meet him to welcome him back to Rome. You guys with me? I guess we're having technical difficulties, but I had the map up. So anyway, trust me when I say that it was 35 miles to one and 10 miles from the other 45 miles. I remember hiking I was going to the highest point of elevation in Utah with Christian Caratini, and that was 28 miles round trip. And these Christians went 45 miles one way, okay, just to meet him to head back to, to Rome. You guys with me so far? Okay, so now that, that word is only mentioned three times in Scripture. Now for the third passage. First, you could take that one off. That's my last slide. Okay, so in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17, this is where I may lose some of you, but that's all right. Jesus said they'll be unbelievers. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we which are alive and remain will be caught up or raptured up together with them in the clouds to Meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we always be with the Lord. So for those that believe in the pre-trip, you have a problem here. Because the word in the Greek for meet is not, we're going to meet him in the, in the sky so we can go back to where he came from. But it's to meet him in the air so that we can welcome him in. You may not like it, but I can't white out the Greek word for you. Because it offends you. And I grew up preaching and teaching that type of theology, which has rocked the church to sleep. And so, anyway, I'll leave, I'll leave that subject for Enrique when he teaches those classes. So I want you to understand how you can use tools to dig deeper into the Word of God. A strong concordance, a map, and understand the geography, understanding the customs of weddings, and you come up with that. Another obstacle 
A barrier would be genre. You may not have to, have to be an expert on it, but you just have to be aware, okay? And a genre is simply different styles of literature. How many of you have ever been inside of a library? And you walk in the library, and you're walking down one aisle, and it says biographies. And you go into the next aisle, and it says science fiction. Another aisle says poetry. Those are different genres, different styles of literature. So you have 66 books, and they are not the same style of literature. So you need to leave to be aware. The first five books are called the law, the Pentateuch. Okay? And so uh, it is the law of God. And so the next genre is the historical books from Joshua to Esther. Those are narratives. Those could be read like stories because that's what they are. They're wonderful stories. And then you have the genre of poetry, the poetical books. But even in poetry, there's, a different, there's different styles. For example, the book of Job is written like a play. Did you know that William Shakespeare said he got his inspiration for the style and structure of his plays from the Bible, from the book of Job? There are scene changes. There are soliloquies. Then there's Psalms, which is a collection of songs, poems, and prayers. How many of you, don't raise your hand, have ever had domestic problems with family members? Well, you're not alone. Because David had real major issues with his son Absalom. And you could look at Psalm 3, and you can see the pain that he went through and the prayer that he prayed when he was going through that tumultuous relationship with his son Absalom? Or how many of you have ever worked for a boss that you didn't like? Don't raise your hand. You can put me on hold. I'll, I'll talk to him later. And David wrote Psalm 18 when he was being persecuted by his boss, King Saul. And then Psalm 51, when it was discovered and revealed that he had an adulterous relationship you can see the pain that he went through in his prayer. So you take that passage in Samuel and you plug in this psalm and it opens it up. Okay? Then we have the prophets, major prophets and minor prophets. Two good books that would help you understand the prophets is number one, a handbook to the Bible to give you the historical background. And number two, the dictionary of biblical imagery because of all the types and shadows and metaphors. That are, in, that are used, that is the language of the Spirit. Then we get to the New Testament, and we have the Gospels, which are biographical in nature. Okay? They're all telling the story of Jesus Christ. But notice how the reason why there's four books there is because they're all telling it from a different angle. So you have Matthew, he's all telling it from a Jewish vantage point. Everything's all, everything begins with Father Abraham. Mark is just speaking to the Gentiles. This is the story of Jesus. Luke is a physician, so he's very, very detailed. There's a lot of details the other books don't have. And he traces the genealogy of Jesus all the way back to Adam. And then John is all spirit realm. Everything goes back to Father God. And so you have four different variations of the same story. Acts is a historical book. Romans and Hebrews is apologetical. In other words, the writers of these two books are presenting an argument. Romans is to the Gentiles, and Hebrews is to the, to, the, to the Jews. And they're trying to present an argument there. In fact, in the 1700s, to be a working attorney in this nation, you had to have a good working understanding of the book of Romans. We've come a long way, huh? The epistles, the epistles are letters. 
just like I spoke to you about PG's email, okay? And so what would help you is just simple journalistic tools, right? What's the journalistic tools? Who, what, where, when, and why? If you could answer those five questions for the epistles, it will open up those epistles for you. When was it written? Who was it written by? Okay? Um, and then what's the main context of it? I mean, it just, that'll answer those questions, and it'll open up all the epistles. And then the book of Revelation is written like a timeless, symbolic opera. Okay? And again, the dictionary of biblical imagery will really help because 95, maybe 97% of all the images you see in the book of Revelation have a first mention in the Old Testament. So I don't need, you know, the charts and graphs and Middle East stuff to understand that. You just got to look at the Old Testament for most of it. Okay? And I'm going to end off with the last barrier, which is character. God used very, very different personalities to write the Bible. And you can look even amongst our leadership, there's a variety of personalities amongst our leadership. Right? And so, and it's the same thing. God chose. So you look at, Jeremiah was very sensitive and very emotional. And God wanted someone like that to write what he wrote. Jonah was very rebellious. I want you to go to Nineveh. Nope, not going. I'm leaving. Hey, this, this storm is because of you. Oh, just throw me overboard because I'm still not going to do it. <laughs> Swallowed up by a fish. As soon as I'm inside the stomach of a fish, I repent, Lord. No, he's there three days. What the heck? That's nasty. When he got vomited out of that fish and comes out on the beach and all that sand is sticking to him. Ugh. Yeah, you ever think about that? Anyway. Peter, how many of you, don't raise your hand, how many of you know people that talk before they think? That was Peter, okay? There's a reason why God gave us one mouth and two ears, all right? And then Paul, Paul was very rough. He was very Spartan and very sarcastic, very sarcastic. And I want to end with this. I want to end by a little character sketch on the Apostle Paul. There's a passage in the Bible where Paul begins to talk about himself. And he says, you know, I was, I'm a Hebrew. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. And I was a Pharisee of Pharisees, of the tribe of Benjamin. And you may not be getting all that he's saying through that if you're just running off to the next verse. And you don't stop to chew on what he was saying. And so a lot of times we grow up, right, you know, because uh, I grew up speaking three languages, right, English, Spanish, and Christianese. And so we speak a whole language in church, right? You know, he's anointed, oh, praise the Lord. I mean, you can't, hallelujah. It's like, can we talk English now? It's like, and so um, we grow up hearing terms like Pharisees and Ju Judaism, and we don't really understand what it means if we really haven't studied the culture. And you really do got to study it. It's not like I can just hang out with some Orthodox Jews in New York because they don't even let you touch them up there, you know, mess with them curls. And so, but Paul wasn't just a Jew. He wasn't just a Pharisee. But he, was, he came from opulence. He came from a very wealthy family. And so when you study his background and his upbringing, what does it mean to be a Pharisee? Well, they didn't have binders like this, and so... Their Bibles were rolled up in papyrus, and, and it was what was called a scroll. And so at the age of two, some of the Pharisaical training, what they would do is they would take honey, and they would pour it on the scroll, and it would make the two-year-old boy lick the honey. So he would know by way of association, thy word is as honey into my lips. 
At the age of four, they began to memorize scripture beginning with the book of Leviticus. Some of y'all haven't even read the book of Leviticus. I'm just saying. That's probably going to be one of the books we're going to be going over this year. And so at the age, and he began to memorize the book of Leviticus at the age of four. So while most kids are playing video games like I was or just hanging out with friends and playing basketball like I was and just doing a whole bunch of other things, and we know I'd go to church on Sundays and things of that nature, this is their upbringing. This is what they did for fun. So by the time he was 12 years old, he had memorized the first five books of the Bible as a Pharisee. And part of his coming of age is bar mitzvah, son of the Lord, thou art a man, where the, the priest would quote a passage of the Torah and the young boy would have to quote the preceding and proceeding verse and explain the context of what was being said. 12 years old. Okay? And then because of his opulence, he went on to the school of Gamaliel. So for the next 13 years, he went to the highest level of training. Like Tito's shirt there, Harvard, Ivy League school, Oxford, Yale, Princeton. The school of Gamaliel was the highest level of education you could possibly receive. So when he graduated at the age of 25, 13 years later, he had memorized every verse from Genesis to Malachi. So what you have is the most pompous, arrogant, self-centered individual you could possibly get around. Extremely religious. So when he got saved, he said, I need to go tell my brothers the Jews. And Peter was sent to the Gentiles. And nobody wants to listen to Peter Nobody wants to listen to Paul, so God does, what he, God does what he always loves to do. He crossed his hands and sent Peter to the Jews to really offend them, because like Mike Bickle says, God loves to offend the mind to reveal the heart. And God sent Paul, who is an expert on Judaism, to the Gentiles. They haven't even read the word. He was licking the Torah from the age two. Okay? So now as an apostle... He is going around, he establishes churches, sets up government, moves in signs and wonders, begins to impart spiritual gifts, and he goes on from one city to another, just overthrowing demonic kingdoms, setting up the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven, and he gets reports back, these letters, and sometimes he's in a different city and he's got to respond. So he gets his letter from the church at Corinth, and he responds with 1 Corinthians, okay? And when he's responding, he's like, oh my God, this place is a mess, See, because everyone's moving in the gifts of the Spirit, that's good, because gifts are given, but fruit is grown. And it takes time to build character. Know them that labor among you. It looks like an apple tree, but there's no apples on it. But when it starts to bud apples, they're not ripe, so they're bitter. We got to wait before they become sweet and we can pick it off. And he gets reports of immorality. He gets reports of divisiveness. Everybody wants to be in a different camp. I'm with Elevation. I'm with Bethel. I'm... And so... <laughs> And all kinds of division. The preacher's getting up to preach, and in the middle of preaching, someone's getting up and speaking in tongues, someone else is prophesying, and everything's just all out of order. And, you know, as a loving father, you got to change the diapers, give them milk when they cry, pat them. You know, to me, if I'm tired, I just go to sleep. I never understood why babies just cry when they're tired. Just go to sleep. <laughs> but you have to be a loving parent. And hit, you know, pat them on the back until they knock out. Or do what we did with Niali. We just drive around so she stops screaming. <laughs> and then we'd put her back in bed. And so he gets this one letter, and he's reading it. 
And, it's, and he responds in 1 Corinthians 14. Now, if you just read your Bible with that high speed, I got to get to the book of Revelation. I'm, I, you're not studying it. You're going to miss what he's saying here. In 1 Corinthians 14, 31, the loss is for you can all prophesy one by one so that you may all learn and all may be exhorted. And the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. The women are to keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are to subject themselves, just as the law also says. If they desire anything, let them ask their own husbands at home. Did you get that? Make sure you wait till you get home. And you can ask Enrique what I was saying. You wait your turn, woman. For it is improper for a woman to speak in church. Was it from you that the word of God first went forth, or has it come to you only? If anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. But if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. If you read the Bible the way I just read it, you're going to miss everything that Paul was saying. Paul was very sarcastic. He was very patient, especially with a group of people that knew nothing of the word. But there's something, a report that came back to him that he quotes back to them that ticked them off. It really got under his skin. And it set him on fire. He could deal with the out of order stuff. Okay, I'm going to bring some order. Okay, you sit down. I don't care if you're speaking. To, I don't care if you have the word of the Lord. You wait till the sermon's over or till the leadership brings you up. This is a house of order. If the spirit is speaking to you and speaking to him, he's not going to speak at the same time. So you wait your turn. He could deal with all that stuff lovingly. A little pat here, a little pat there. But there's something they said that ticked them off, and I want you to hear it. And I'm going to read it the way I believe that Paul wrote this. Okay? For God is not the author of confusion as in all the churches of the saints. The women are to keep silent in the churches, for they're not permitted to speak, but are to subject themselves just as the law also says. The law? You don't know who you're talking to. When I was two years old, I licked the honey off the scroll. When I was four years old, I was memorizing Leviticus. When I was 12, I had memorized Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. By the time I was 25, I had the whole word of God memorized. And you're going to try and suppress half of this congregation by misquoting a book that you don't even know, that you obviously haven't even read, that the law also says, if they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in church. Was it from you that the word of God first went forth, or has it come to you only? Or spiritual, let him recognize the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. But if anyone does not recognize this, then he's not recognized. Paul was not a suppressor of women. If he was, then he was schizophrenic when he wrote Galatians that in Christ there is neither male nor female. Because when God created us in his image, he created us Man in the image of God, both male and female. And so there is a suppressive spirit because that was a culture that they were trying to creep in. And we need, to, and look, I'm proud of my Dominican roots and my Puerto Rican roots, but where it ends is where my culture contradicts kingdom culture. Come on. And Paul made it very, very clear. Okay, otherwise, we wouldn't have women that were deacons in the church, women that were elders in the church women that were apostles in the church, women that were prophetesses in the church, 
women that were teachers in the church. The first evangelists were women. We've had people leave this church because we had females in our eldership. Well, we got two doors there. We got two doors there. Or you can wait and let me lovingly change your diaper. Let me lovingly give you a bottle of milk to drink. I'll warm it up first. Let me loving you put you to sleep and give you the word. Amen? Amen. So you're not going to get that from reading, but you'll get that from studying, and I want you to chew. And some of you may be thinking, oh, my God, it's going to take me forever to get through the Bible like that. But, you know, the Native Americans had this saying, a journey of a 1,000 miles beginning with the first step. So just begin. You've been tasting the word. God wants you to chew. Amen? And I want to worship team, if you can come up. 1 Peter 2, 2, as newborn babes desire this pure milk of the word, that you may grow in respect to salvation. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Can you all stand? For they will be satisfied. I hope you got something out of this message. I want you to start this new year off with a desire to get to know him in scripture and in his power. I want you to become more aware of the inspirer of the writers of this Bible, which is the Holy Spirit. So that you can not only know the scripture, but know the inspiration behind the scripture. Oh, that I may know him. Paul, you have the whole Old Testament in your heart. You have it memorized. Oh, that I may know him. And I want to know him. The more I read this word, the more I realize I don't know. There's so many layers in every scripture. Lord, open up the word in my heart. Let it take root in us, Lord God. Let us not fall into error. We want to know the scriptures and your power. Scriptures and your power. The power of your word and the word of your power, Lord. For you are the word of God, and we want to know you. You said in this book they thought they had life, but it speaks of you, and we want to know you. On the road to Emmaus, you opened the scriptures because they burned in their hearts. Open this word to us, Lord God. Let us start the course of this new year, Lord God, right. So by the end of the year, we're not veering off by one or two degrees. Let us stay on course, O Lord. In the name of Jesus, I pray, Father, right now, in Jesus' name, let your teaching fall like raindrops over this congregation. Let the drops fall, Lord God. In places that are barren and dry, Lord God, let life spring up, O oh Lord. Let a hunger spring up, O oh Lord. Some of our hearts have been like deserts, Lord God, just swallowing whatever drop we can get. Let it rain, Lord. Let it rain your word. Let 2022 go forth in power and in might with your word, O oh Lord. Come visit us once again, Lord God. When the king found the scrolls and he read it out loud, he tore his garments and he wept. We've gotten so far from the word and revival spread through the kingdom. Let revival spread, Lord God. Let it begin in our hearts. Let it begin here in Remnant Christian Center, Lord God. And let us take it, Lord God, to the ends of the earth, O Lord. In the name of Jesus. Amen. That was a powerful word. Amen. I would like the teachers that are, are part of Harvest's team to come up.
And I want to give you a challenge in 2022. You know, this is a powerful word. And maybe you have had problems. I am one where I've read the Bible and I'm like, what in the heck was that? You know, I didn't understand it. And if you've had that challenge or you want to grow and you really want to commit, we have courses here for you. And you know, and unfortunately in 2021, and it pains me, but a lot of us didn't show up when these, when these men of God and women of God put themselves out there to teach you. And I know that that's PG's heart. But if you want to commit and you want to grow, we're going to have these courses again in 2021. You get a clean slate. So I invite you to come up here and commit to God first before you commit to these teachers and PG. Because God wants to increase you. God wants to give you his language. God wants to show you his DNA. And it's for you. It's for your breakthrough. You need this. So we invite you here today this morning, if, if you want to get closer to God or if you don't know Jesus this morning and you want to get to know him, we invite you to come up and accept him as your Lord and Savior. If you're online and you're watching and you want to be a part of these courses, just um, put some messages on there so that we can keep track of this. And yes, I want to be a student. I want to be a doer of the word. So Father, we just come before you. And we thank you, Father God, for another year in 2022 that we are starting new again. And we just repent for dropping the ball and not just committing to, to you and getting to know you, oh God. And we thank you for these teachers that are here for such a time as this, oh God. For Robin, who's not here right now, but she's one of the teachers, Lord. And we thank you for her. We thank you for this team. And we thank you for PG, who's, who spearheaded this, oh God. And we thank you for the students that will commit by via Zoom or however we're going to do these courses. And I invite you right now, if you want to come up here for prayer as a commitment, the floor is open and they're here to pray for you. Amen. Before we get started, I owe somebody an apology. Brian, I told you to move early this morning. I had a prophetic word for you. And the word, Lord, is this. Man of God, son of the most high, God's about to excel you in ways that you never thought before. You've been waiting and waiting and waiting. And you've been calling on the name of the Lord. And the Lord said, I've heard you. And not only have I heard you, but I'm going to excel you in ways that you never thought. I'm going to pull you up higher I'm going to remove the wax out of your ears and I'm going to give you vision to see. I'm going to speak to you about your career, your ministry, employment, your relationships, your future. And God said, I want you to start journaling them down. I want you to start writing them down. I want you to start writing the visions down. Because as you write the visions down, it's going to influence your friends. And God said, I'm going to change you and I'm going to move you in wisdom and discernment that you're going to see Father in 22 and beyond. And God is calling you to a quiet time with him. The Lord says, son, I'm not about religion. I just want you to hang out with me. And in hanging out with me, whether we, you're going to a park or just riding, God is going to speak to you clearly. And he's going to give you revelations of a father to his son because he's calling you to be a father to the nations.
anyone wants prayer, come forth. We're going to pray for anyone. Thank you for tuning in. For more information about us, please visit remnantchristiancenter.com.